Welcome back to Mav Geeks with myself, Alex Gill, and Ginny Carlin as we start Series 2 between now and Christmas. Join us on our military aircraft obsession. So, welcome back to uh, a slightly shorter series in the run-up to Christmas, but Season 2, Season 2, Series 2, that sounded so American, didn't it? <laughs> series 2 of Mav Geeks with myself, Alex and Ginny. It is uh, great to be back. And Ginny, we need to first off talk about, I think, one of the, the biggest things that happened in the world of aviation uh, over the last few weeks, which was, of course, uh, the unfortunate incident of the F-35 crashing in the Mediterranean. But luckily, uh, the pilot managed to eject before... He hit the deck, so the pilot is absolutely fine. Aircraft, probably a bit less so. Um, but it just goes to show that all the, all the work that the military do all the time, you know, it's great when we see them flying around doing stuff that's really incredible, but it's also a very dangerous job. I mean, the best news ever uh, that the pilot ejected and is safe, absolutely brilliant. But massive shout out to Martin Baker, uh, the guys who make the ejection seats. And I spoke to, remember when we were at DSCI mm-hmm. um, earlier on in the year, I spoke to Tony Gaunt from Martin Baker and he was just like, every life saved means so much to us. And uh, I had a quick look on the Martin Baker um, webpage 7,662 total lives saved because of their ejection seat. Obviously, another member of the ejection tie club. <laughs> I love it that they do that and that they, they, they have get-togethers. It started off in 1957, so another member of that very elite club and just so happy that he's safe. That's just a huge number. Uh, what a fulfilling job to have and to do to know that that many people have been saved by the work that you do in that organisation huge it must feel amazing absolutely I, I mean i love it and the way that we, we, we maybe get tony on to uh, to mav geeks to talk about it the way that he spoke uh, when we were at dsei you know so so passionate about it uh, it was really lovely we also need to speak al about the whole sustainable jet fuel thing uh, what's been going on at bryce with this well there's a couple of things uh, happening at, at bryce and, and slightly further afield and this is something i'm quite pleased about that is happening that the aviation world in general is kind of moving towards because Becoming a more sustainable industry because as we know aircraft chuck out a lot of a lot of bad for the environment out oh the back gosh. of the engines you know and yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard to be so passionate about something like aviation without feeling a twinge of guilt when there's so much going on about how <laughs> yes. you know how, yes. how bad it is for, for the environment in general um but uh, there, there were two things that happened quite recently actually so number one was that uh, the vip voyager vespina uh doing its usual flying uh, important people around the world on a trip mm-hmm. to to jordan and egypt recently where it took uh, charles and charles and camilla uh, it had a, a mix of sustainable fuel on board it wasn't 100 percent uh, sustainable fuel but it had a, had a mix in there to kind of test it to see how it felt with the engines and worked and it, and it went really well you know it safely got there and back to to Bryce, which was really good but also just down the road from Bryce, kemble which we talk about a lot on the podcast yeah, yeah. xraf kemble um from there a, a flight in a, a much smaller little prop plane uh, took off with group captain willie hackett at the helm test pilot for the project it's called project martin synthetic fuel um and this was a flight with 100% sustainable fuel. So fuel that has been uh, made not from fossil fuels, so much better for mm-hmm. the environment, doesn't give out anywhere near as bad as emissions as the, the normal aviation fuel would. So just much better for the environment. Now, it's not a, completely ready to be used in like normal jets all the time. So this was a tiny little prop. But what they were saying, that the aircraft experienced no loss of power. Uh, there was no difference in the handling 
and it just acted completely normally as if it had normal aviation fuel on board, which I think is really, really good because it means in a few years, and they're looking at something like 2040 to have the entire RAF fleet of aircraft using this 100% sustainable fuel, we can safely enjoy our passion for aviation and military aircraft knowing that it's not really damaging the environment anywhere near as much mm. i mean you've got to admit al it's it's a bit of a ballsy move testing this fuel uh, not, not just with you know any old punters on board but with the future monarch and his missus that's what i thought yeah i mean if it's if it if the engine starts coughing a bit if it's like messing about and oh you know this is a bit sporting then you'd kind of not want royalty on board but they they must have had such confidence in that fuel to say yes come aboard we're half and half today <laughs> well that and and the guy who flew the test pilot who flew the 100 percent sustainable fuel i mean that You've got to think, must have been in the back of his mind, the engine might just go at any minute because, you know, obviously they would have tested it, but this this was the first flight that happened. So you can test it as much as you want on the ground, but you don't know what's going to happen until you're actually in the air. So, I mean, no, that, is, that is brave. And I think that is a really, really good thing to have done. It's pioneering for the future. It's amazing. Oh, definitely. And I, I do wonder for older aircraft, I don't mean the stuff that's not that flies only very rarely, but I mean... Kind of the stuff that the RAF still using the fleet, but it's a good few years old. How how that's going to fare? Because, I, I mean, I talk about my old car quite a bit, but I've just changed the fuel in my old car as well. And people are saying, uh, who own the same sort of car as me, make sure you drive it every day. It really messes up the engine, you know, long term. I, I wonder if there'll be any long term ramifications for the older jets. Yeah, I've wondered that. And they have said the whole fleet by 2040, but we've got to think actually by 2040, some of the stuff that's around now, like the Hercules and things like that won't be in mm. service by then. So they, I think they've kind of future-proofed it a little bit that the jets of today might not all be around by the time this comes in, into play. Anyway, Al, oh my life. Noel Phillips. Let's talk about Noel. He's a uh, travel and an aviation blogger. I am absolutely obsessed with his videos. He's got one and a half million followers on Facebook, and 250,000 subscribers on YouTube. And we have got to speak to him how cool is that uh, he's been on so many amazing trips you can look at all the the blogging and the vlogging that he does and i can't believe that he literally lives eight miles from where i live but anyway fresh from in-flight video we caught up with the man the legend mr noel phillips who's been all over the world much more than we ever will in some extremely cool aircraft and here he is my interest in aviation started when i was about 11 years old and my school that i went to took us on an exchange visit and we went over to Moscow in Russia and for an 11 year old kid like in the early 90s Moscow was like the most exotic place that you could ever expect to go but for me it wasn't about the going to Moscow bit it was about I was going to get to ride on a plane I've never been on a plane before this is going to be fantastic and we got down to Heathrow Airport and we were on an old BA 767 it, well, it wasn't old at the time it was brand new it was like three <laughs> months old which I thought was incredible um, and I just remember looking out of the window at Terminal 3 or Terminal 4 at Heathrow wherever it was and there was just a line of British Airways 747s in the old um, Negus livery with the blue and red stripes just lined up and it just looked so incredible and like evocative you know all of these aircraft going off to really exotic destinations around the world and Kind of from that moment, really, was when I got hooked. 
And we got up to like cruising altitude and they let us all on the flight deck to go and talk to the crew and stuff. This is obviously the days where you could do that. And I just remember walking in and just in so in awe of these guys that were flying us like across Europe to the other side of the world to me as an 11 year old. I was a spotter for a very long time. We used to go out and take photos at all the airports all around the country, built up quite a lot of friends who got me more hooked in. It's like a um, kind of community, isn't it? When you, <laughs> when you start meeting other people and it's like being hooked on something um, bad, but it's not, it really is. And um, and eventually, I I enjoy taking rides on planes as much as I enjoy spotting them. Really, so I started making videos of them and making videos of the takeoffs and landings, and I just put them on the internet because YouTube had kind of just started in like 2004, 2005. I was like, I stick them on there. It's somewhere to store them, and I can go back and look at them um, in the future. And I just remember logging in one day and seeing that I'd got like 3,000 subscribers. I was like, what? <laughs> like, really? Like, I was doing nothing with these videos. It was literally a takeoff and landing video with no title or anything like that. And um, it kind of got me thinking that people were interested in actually watching this stuff online. It was it was a growing thing. I love that. I think I think that just goes to show how I think everyone can appreciate just how extraordinary aviation is. And when you're saying about being able to go up into the flight deck, I mean. I've never been on a flight where that has been possible. <laughs> and, you know, I, I absolutely wish I, I would have had the opportunity to do that. But whenever I get on a, a flight from going somewhere, I always, always have a cheeky little look to my left. You know, I get on the plane and I look left and, and I worry. And I'm like, how long can I hold this stair for before I get told off? So I got looking dodgy. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. And then I'm going to turn away and I'm gutted because I would, I would love to just literally sit there. Yeah, absolutely. I was very lucky. I was on a flight um, with um, Sunair. They're a British Airways subsidiary um, a couple of years ago. They basically invited me over to Denmark to go and have a look around their maintenance facility, which was just amazing on the Dornier 328 jets and seeing all the different stuff that they're doing there. And the CEO that was with me is like, oh, are you definitely wanting to get make sure you get your meal service and everything on the way back? I'm like, well, it'd be nice. But he's like, okay. He says, well, leave it with me. And I got on the plane, go and sit down at the back. And the flight attendant comes up to me. I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to get told off for filming or something. Here we go. She goes, um, would you like to um, come and sit in the flight deck? I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so literally yeah. sat me down in the jump seat at the front and I got to the entire flight from Denmark back to London City on the flight deck and it was just awesome. absolutely incredible and that sort of experience it's the first time that's ever really happened to me on that sort of scale before and um, yeah it was pretty impressive I don't care about the comfy seat and the food yeah exactly <laughs> I just want to sit and see what's going on you know talk planes you know it's amazing isn't it how quickly you forget about the kids sitting in the plane that might want that experience it's like nah forget it little johnny little mary <laughs> i'm sprinting to the front and my backpack's hitting everybody on the head as i'm going forward i don't care i'm in there yeah, out the way <laughs> i'd be exactly the same no I, I need to ask you no i mean your videos are incredible thank you 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 actually flew in a hotel room to Dubai, which was just <laughs> mad. I mean, it's something that I will never, ever in my lifetime get a chance to do. I love watching that. I could quite easily enjoy that bit of the job that you do. However, flying in a 40-year-old Russian airliner with not a great safety record or <laughs> in some of the crazy African airlines that don't actually come <laughs> online in really old planes and oh last week this one crashed at the end of the runway are, are you not absolutely scared to death when you get on those planes 
you know, part of this for me and part of this journey for me has been a way of trying to get in my head that aviation inherent is inherently safe. Wherever you go in the world, even in the most remote parts of Africa or Russia, where you see their safety records and you see that if you were just reading the news, you think they were falling out of the sky every day. But I think actually flying on them and seeing the way that these airlines are sometimes run and the fact that it still is pretty safe and you can get on a plane that looks like it's falling to bits and be absolutely fine and obviously safety is a you know a much bigger concern in some parts of the world than others and I've certainly seen that but I don't think there's been many occasions where I've actually felt unsafe on board any of these flights i've been a little bit nervous um, and yeah there's been times especially on um, some of the russian flights that i've done and you see some of the old soviet planes because all you ever all i ever heard about growing up was aeroflot and their terrible yeah. safety reputation and the fact that they were forever falling out of the sky and running off runways and everything but once you get past that and you realize that actually you know yes statistically speaking aeroflot had a lot of crashes but statistically speaking, they were the world's largest airline mm. for about 30 years. They had like hundreds and hundreds of airplanes flying in the really, really tough conditions across Siberia and stuff. And the fact that so few of them actually crashed as they did, I think for me, is the kind of, you know, that's the important thing for me and the thing I take away from it. And when you get when you realize that. And you realise that nobody on this plane wants to be in a crash. Like the pilots don't want to be in a crash any more than I do. So it's, you know, it's pretty safe. And I think that's really helped me. There was one that particularly stuck with me. I think it was the Yak 40 when you went <laughs> to the toilet and you were like, it's so hot in here because I'm really under an engine. Yeah, uh, but yeah, you weren't engines. even... <laughs> You weren't even scared. You were just like that. At that point, I thought Noel Phillips is is a honorary Mav geek because you were just <laughs> geeking out completely about the fact that you were right next to the engine. It was really hot and really loud, but you didn't care. Yeah. I love that. That was one of my favourite ones. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. I mean, the Yaks have always held a special place in my heart because they've been so rare and um, predominantly for us. You you know you never saw them even back in the nineties and early two thousands. You never saw them spotting in the UK at all. They, you know, predominantly a Russian thing, and just the fact that you're getting to ride on one and it's like a like a like a time capsule really you know there's curtains at the windows and stuff and it's all like really old-fashioned on board and you know the noise that's the thing for me it's the noise that you get from those engines it sends a shiver down my spine like as, as much as it does hearing like a b1 taking off from farnborough at the air show and rumbling through the sky me hearing that yeah. 40 spool up it's just it it's incredible. It really is. Yeah. I'm so pleased that you're you're on this podcast because uh, Ginny actually showed me your your channel and she was like, "Ah, oh, we've got we've just got to get this guy on." And I had a little look through through your channel. Your videos, like Ginny said, are, are amazing. But the the one that she first linked me to was the one where you recreated the Dambusters flight over the valley in, in Derbyshire, uh, their training flight. And you know, I like that because actually, me and Ginny both spent a lot of time in Germany with BFBS, and uh, you know, I've been to the Mona Dam countless times in my life. I'm sure Ginny has as well. You know, so we've been been to the dam busters dam many times but uh seeing you do that flight was was pretty cool i mean that uh, I, I could just watch it on repeat it was it was stunning for one the scenery but actually you know watching getting to watch you fly is is really fun yeah i mean i um so i i originally got my pilot's license many years ago and it lapsed when i was you know i was into aviation obviously from a teenager i was like yeah got my ppl got my ppl and yeah it, it's expensive to fly a plane <laughs> it's not yeah. something that you can do on an 18 year old's budget typically so yeah i had to stop for a long while and then it was last year during lockdown i was like 
I'm in a position now where I've got A, the time and B, the financial ability to be able to actually fly a plane again. And I can go and get my PPL back. And it was a much easier process than I expected. And it's, I think it's brought a whole new kind of dynamic to the videos and to be able to create videos about my flying as well. And the Dam Busters thing was something that, you know, I'd, I'd always kind of wanted to do it. Um, the reservoirs where they trained aren't far from here at all. It's, and we go quite a lot walking with the dog and stuff up there. And the amount of times I've walked through and I've been like, they used to fly the Lancasters down here. It's just unbelievable. Incredible. And I figured I'd wanted to go and give it a go. You know, it's, it's for an av geek, it's, it's quite an important thing to try and do that sort of thing. I think most people yeah. will probably see that and go, well, why? Why would you do that? But for me, it was like, let's go and see if we can actually do it and just see how hard it is. And I'll tell you what, the appreciation I have for those guys that did that after doing that. I mean, I was in awe of them before, but having tried to fly a PA-28 down there <laughs> and like seeing how how hard it is. I mean, I was like... 800 feet above the ground and the winds are battering you about because you're down a valley so the winds whipping you all around and it was it was daytime and I was struggling to keep it where I wanted it to go and then you kind of realize that these guys were flying at twice the speed in an aircraft several times bigger with they were at 50 foot above the water at night being shot at by other people and oh by the way most of them weren't even 20 years old it's like <laughs> It's just, yeah. and, and what you really don't phenomenal. need is all that going through your head while you're trying to fly your aircraft. <laughs> well, yeah, time. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But it's just, it's, it's, it's harder than I ever imagined it would be. You, you mm. kind of have it in your mind yeah. that, oh, you, you just fly a bit low, go down the water and then climb out. But you're not, you're weaving through this valley that's got some really tight turns in it. It was so hard even for me to be able to try and do that at 90 knots, pooping along in a Piper Warrior. <laughs> so what would it have been like, you know, in a Lancaster back then? God, it is crazy. And is that something that anyone with a, with a PPL would be able to do? Did you have to get special clearance to go that low down the yeah. valley? Like, how did, it, how did it work? So by law, you can go down to 500 feet above the surface. So as long as you've got a PPL, yeah, you're absolutely fine. Um you, you, the rules are effectively 500 foot and be able to glide clear. Well, I was at kind of 800 foot and my glide clear would have been either straight down into the lake or off to one of the fields at the side, preferably. But yeah, certainly anybody can do that. It's even more fun, apparently, in a helicopter because you can get right down to the surface and just like tank wow. on the water. So, yeah, definitely. I've, I've seen the Lancaster go over there before as well. I mean, it was years ago. It was in the Alex. It was in the 1990s. Probably a time that you've never experienced. <laughs> It was one of the anniversaries and the lank came over and there was just silence. It was like you could have heard a pin drop in the valley. It was just incredible. Just, a, a, I agree, a beautiful place. I've got to ask you about some of the other places you've been to, though, Noel. I love the fact that you have got a bit of a love affair with some of the Soviet places that you go to. <laughs> um, and that, you know, you go to Kyrgyzstan or you go to Ukraine and you're very much like it's a beautiful place. There's some very odd places there you go to. Where, where are the like favourite places like that that you've been to and the ones that stand out? So for me, Kyrgyzstan was quite nice. And Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan, they're kind of next door to one another anyway. And they're both just such a, for me, an incredible part of the world to visit because you don't see anything about these places. I didn't know anything about Kazakhstan. I didn't know anything about Kyrgyzstan. I just knew that I could get there to do what I needed to do at that moment in time. And yeah, that it, the scenery there is incredible. The people for the most part are just the most amazing people, incredibly poor, the very poverty stricken countries in a lot of places. But with that becomes the nicest people that you've ever met you know they're happy and they will happily just take your hand and guide you through and show you what 
where everywhere is and try and be ambassadors for their country because they're proud of it and it mm. is really incredible like that Kyrgyzstan in particular was very like we so one of the one of the examples from there is I got picked up in a taxi and the driver of the taxi was like oh there's a family that needs to get a lift to their house would you mind if we went on the way and I was like yeah that's fine so we went back round and we got caught in a massive traffic jam and he was arguing and shouting with other drivers and stuff as they do and um we got taken basically around the outskirts of the city and we were went to this person's house and it was down a little farm track in the middle of nowhere and the houses were just it was like sheds that people oh were gosh. living in. Did you think you were going really... to get killed at that point, Noel? You know what? The thing that I, I wasn't thinking anything bad about it like that. It was a case of where I'm staying in the centre of town. It's incredible. It's beautiful. There's all these beautiful monuments and architecture. And just on the edge of town, as people live in, in mm. these sorts of conditions. And that's that was a thing for me, really, that struck me. Where for you are the places that you would really like to go next and the aircraft that you would really like to fly on? So I'd like to go back to Russia because there's a few over there that I've, a few places over there that I've not been to. Um, there's a really cool, um, well, the Antonov 2 is one type of aircraft that I'd really want to fly on. And there's places in Russia where you fly on them on skis in the winter. Oh my so that's kind of massively on, on my list. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you go out to Siberia, they, they run them out to these little villages. That's one that's on my bucket list. Um, and alongside with that is the Mil 8 as well helicopter. Um, because again, that's just something that you see, you know, I remember growing up watching things like Michael Palin going around the world and he'd like go to these remote outposts on the old mill helicopters with bench seats down the side and stuff. That is definitely on my bucket list to do. And in that regard as well, I mean, I'd, I'd really like to get to North Korea at some point because wow. you can still fly on loads of old planes. You can fly on an IL-62 over there still, um, an IL-76 as well. You know, all these old aircraft TU-134s, which you, you don't even find them in Russia anymore flying. Um, and they're still wow. running them domestically in North Korea. But unfortunately, with the, the situation over there isn't great anyway to get mm. into. You have to do it as part of an organized tour, which is fine. I was booked on one, um, but then COVID happened, unfortunately. And um, they've become even more locked down over there than they ever were before. So um, I don't really think that I'm going to get to do that, unfortunately. But it's on the <laughs> wish list. <laughs> I've, I've watched a few YouTube videos of people who've gone to North Korea, and it is, it is incredible to watch. And so I'm going to be looking out for that on your channel if, if you do get to go i think that that'd be amazing uh, what's your what's your favorite military aircraft either you know out of service or still in Ooh, service favorite military aircraft i do like i like the f-16 um i like the just like the way it looks with the understrung engine and everything like that yeah. and the fact that it you know the noise it makes is incredible i like watching the videos from the mac loop when they come tanking around and just, oh yes it's just yeah, amazing yeah. have you been and, to the mac loop I've been, and I think the most I've saw was like a couple of Hawks and a Eurofighter to go through. Uh, okay. so I must have been on the wrong day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm certainly not trekking to the top of a mountain to go and watch it. I'll put it this way. But, uh, <laughs> um, and I like the, the B1B as well. It's really nice, like the American yeah. one, because again, just the noise, just the, the, the feeling you get, the noise from it, the rumble and everything from it is just incredible. That's the thing that gets me with the military planes is the noise. Like, yeah, the, the noise is, and it's it's difficult to explain. And but you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. And you stand there, and it goes to the pit of your stomach as it goes yeah. past, all that crackling noise, and it's just amazing. It's like the intro in your podcast, I think, is that you use. That? Yes, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We were saying as well a few episodes ago, uh, Noel, about the B1B, and we're saying that it's kind of got that look. 
that it's, yeah. it, it, I mean, it's, it's a quite an old aircraft, but it looks like something at a, a space age, you know, it's it does. Yeah. so cold war. It's like something you'd see on a, an old space film. It looks so cool though. Just it does just like with the curved lines and everything. And it, and it's, it's strange. I mean, you look at how old it is and as an aircraft and it was futuristic. It's futuristic even now, yeah. <laughs> let alone when it was first like flying about 50 odd years ago. It's crazy. So I noticed from your um, uh, channel that you love planes, but are also quite into really? trains. <laughs> I'm surprised you've got that, you got that feeling from it. But, yeah. Yeah. but trains as well, which is quite exciting. And I, I, I want to ask if you've, have you seen uh, Francis the train spotter on TikTok? I have indeed. Yes. I love him. He's so funny. <laughs> so, so funny. <laughs> I, I don't know if you saw recently, he has uh, given up his day job and he's going into like train spotting on the internet full time. Yeah. And that's, he's just going to make money and make that. a living off that. I know that's incredible. Yeah. But it I think, is. you know, the, you started a channel from your passion and it's completely, no pun intended, taken off. And he's sort of done the same. And I just thought, actually, you know, you both like trains as well maybe you could meet up with him or something that would be amazing now i've been following him for quite a while on tiktok to be honest and i think yeah. the first thing i saw of him was when i think a train had gone past and it had blew, blew his horn at him and he was just so over the top <laughs> he excited. It. but it's like i'm watching that and, I'm, and i'm like my wife was sat with me watching it and she's like God, look at this guy look you know why would you get like that and i'm like i totally get it yeah. <laughs> it's exactly like, exactly yeah. the same for me when i go to see a rare plane at the airport or something it's exactly the same mm. um and i think at the end of the day i mean fair play to him he's managed to take it to something that's going to take off full time for him as a job and it just goes to show I think that when you've got that passion there it doesn't matter what you're talking about if you're passionate enough about something and you can let that shine through it's the person that people enjoy watching rather than the subject itself um yeah which is I think the best thing really how is your missus about you going flying into these crazy places (laughs) I was watching your flight into it's Lukla, isn't it? On the side of the yeah, mountain. Yeah. What? That runway <laughs> is just, it's, it's just mad. It's... Were you not scared when you were landing there? Um, I'll be honest a little bit. Um, <laughs> and it, it was more, but to be fair, it was, it was more the taking off that I was more concerned about, I think. Um, because I think whenever anything's crashed there before, it's been on takeoff because <gasps> it's just such a short runway. Really? And the feeling when you take off from there is incredible. It's like there is like a like a, a hump on the runway. So it's kind of flat for a little bit and then you drop down. And that feeling as you go over there, like you're lifted out of your seat as you go over that bump. It's incredible. Um, but it, yeah, that was an amazing place to visit, Lukla. And it was a little bit scary, I have to say, because it, it is quite a tricky, dangerous airport. Mm. The thing that the biggest thing I took from that, though, was just how remote it is when you get up there. And I don't think I was quite prepared for that because you see this airport, it's such a famous airport. You think they must have like a massive like town attached to it or something. And it's like, nope, it's a village. There are no vehicles or anything because... Like, how would you get them there? I hadn't processed this in my head, really. Um, there's no electricity half the time up there. It's so remote. And it's basically one step above being in a tent when you get up there. So it's just, it, it's incredible. But yeah, in answer to your question about uh, my wife as well, I mean, I'm well insured, I think. And that's, <laughs> she, she does make sure of that. So. <laughs> and Lita, which way do they land? Do they go up? Do they do the, do they approach? Yeah. So they always land with the up. You always land on the up and you take off from the down. Yeah, because at the end of the up is a sheer cliff. Yeah. and it, But the thing is, and the other thing you don't tend to see when you are watching videos and stuff is at the end of the runway, there is a bit of a drop off. And you see it 
on the videos, you're like, oh, there's a little bit of a drop off there. But when you actually stand on the edge of that drop off and you see there's about a thousand foot sheer cliff down to like a valley below, that's the wow. incredible thing there. Then, and you're just like, if this goes wrong on takeoff, like you've not got enough speed up or whatever, you have an engine out or something like that, you you're screwed. There's no, yeah. <laughs> you know, as you come in, there's a, a wide bit of valley that they can turn around in and get back out. But once you commit it in, you kind of you're being squeezed further and further into this runway. So there isn't any way. And then obviously at the end, there's a sheer cliff. So you wouldn't go around anyway from that. I think last time I mean, they did try it and it ended up crashing because they um, came in, tried to go around, did like a steep turn and stalled it. And there's a video of it. It's not very nice. And um, yeah, that's the, that's the issue there, really. They've tried and I think yeah, it doesn't seem to work very well for them. And what did you fly on to, to go there? Because I imagine um, not many aircraft can get into it. What? Yeah, I, I went in, I think I went in on a, it might have been a twin otter that I went in on, and I flew out on a Let 410, which was pretty cool in itself. I mean, yeah. the Let being a Soviet era, I know it's Czech, but it's not really Soviet, but it being that sort of breed of aircraft is always pretty cool to fly on anyway. So yeah, I was really miffed that I didn't get on a Dornier 228 because I hadn't been on one at the time. And uh, there's uh-huh. one airline there, um, Yeti Air, were flying them in. And I just couldn't get a seat on it. It was either fully booked or it wasn't scheduled to run or something. And I ended up effectively going on the Let 410, which was still pretty cool. Uh, fun fact, the Aria Falcons parachute display team at Bryce fly a Dornier 228. <laughs> That's their display aircraft. Nice. The downside yeah. of that is that you've got to get out at quite a high altitude. It's quite a bit of a step off, isn't it? So Yeah. <laughs> Uh, especially and when well, well yeah absolutely when they do a low a low display i don't think it's their friend <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah i did actually i did finally get to ride up one actually in portugal there's an airline there called seven air and they um operate them on some domestic routes so that was pretty cool and they've got like this massive bubble window on the side so you can effectively like ride outside the plane yeah. <laughs> <It's quite cool. laughs> there, there was another of your videos i mean all of them are just brilliant but the, the one that i was telling my mum about actually so it's the video. Uh, you're in Africa somewhere on a on an airline that is nowhere on the internet, and I can't remember yeah. if it was the Embraer that you were the Embraer 120 that you were taking off on. Yeah, it was the Embraer 120. And, yeah, and the Embraer 120 from an airline that looked suspiciously like the airline that you were flying on had, <laughs> had come off the runway oh, and crashed. Yeah, that was that was actually that was in Kenya. That was a Fokker 50 actually. Oh um, right, okay. Embryo, uh, but yeah, and then yeah, that was interesting. And you were you were saying something like, "Oh, it's it's two thousand meters takeoff space with the rain. This is like fourteen hundred meters, yeah. and it's raining like mad." And I showed this one to Alex as well that you used literally every millimeter of that runway to take off. And when you got to the grass at the end of the tarmac, it was like, "Oh, we've got to go now." <laughs> yeah, and the wheels come up just as you were coming up over the grass. Yeah crazy yeah that was oh. pretty incredible that was and it was quite yeah because they they have got a cross runway there at wilson airport um, and i'm not quite sure which one is longer i was surprised that they hadn't gone for the cross runway which was slightly longer but we were going for that one for whatever reason and yeah it was that um that runway where the same type of aircraft had run off the runway because it hadn't got enough speed up like a few months before sort of thing and it, yeah it that was pretty scary like <laughs> literally like you you sit in there and you're like okay we should be lifting off like any time now to <laughs> off the runway and then literally as, as we lifted off the runway and just went straight underneath it i suppose the takeaway from that is the skill of the pilots mm. in one degree but also i'm like mm, it's a little bit short to be flying a fully laden <laughs> off a runway about the length of gamstons which is where i fly the ba28 from yeah. and <laughs> you're just like yeah, it's a little bit tight <laughs> you you were saying that there's 
your love affair first started with the 767. Like mine was the TriStar. And yeah. obviously the RAF flew the TriStar as well for refueling. I got to fly in them. You might have heard one of our episodes where me and Alex have a bit of an argument about it because he's a heathen and doesn't like it. Um, <laughs> is it the 767 for you or is it the 747 that you look at and go, yeah, that, that's the one? I think it's a 747, if I'm honest. I'm, I'm very boring and I'm very kind of normal in that respect in terms of like, the, it's a 747 for me that does it. It's just the way it looks. It's evocative. You know, you look at it, you pull, you walk up to the gate when it's sat there and it's just that shape. Even when you look at it from the reverse and you see that massive APU hole at the back of the plane or the, the yeah. backside of the plane, as I tend to call it, but you see that and you just seeing those lined up, it's just, I don't know, you, you know it's off somewhere exotic and it's taking hundreds of people like halfway around the world to some really exotic location. It's just an incredible aircraft. And yeah. it's a shame that you don't see many of them these days, really. Obviously, they've got the Dash 8 that's still being flown by Lufthansa and a few others. But even with the Dash 8, it, I don't know, it doesn't seem to have the same appeal. It's not got the winglets that the 400 has. And it's, you know, it's very modern. And it's like nah, 747-400, I think, for sure. Yeah, seven four seven all the way. We're we're it's, big fans. Yeah, in fact, I've got part of one here. That's um that window. That's a window for BA seven four seven behind me. So that's very cool. Yeah, yeah. that's that awesome. That is very cool and great soundproofing as well. Sorry, we're radio geeks, obviously as well. Great <laughs> 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 soundproofing as well in your studio. Oh, yeah. brilliant, brilliant. I, it's it's really funny you say that with the seven four seven. I I love the seven four seven. I I love the TriStar. But um years ago when I was flying, I flew out of Iraq. And uh, we got to on a military aircraft to Kuwait and then uh, a carrier came to get us and it was a DC tech. Remember the old DC tens? And yeah. I, I, I did that face Noel. I was yeah. like, Oh, but I also remember <laughs> that they were called the flying coffin as well. <laughs> Cause you know, they were notorious for like bits dropping off and the, the door opening underneath and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And I got on it. It was such an old plane. It was so old that the light above me, you couldn't have it on or off. You had to have it. It was like a seance. It was just on and on and on and off the whole the whole thing. <laughs> but when I see the, the shape of that and the TriStar, I'm a little bit the same I, as you I are. I love a TriStar. I do love a TriStar. Oh, no. I, ne I never got to ride on one, sadly. Yeah. Shut um, up, Alex. Let him speak. <laughs> I never got to ride on a TriStar, but it is it's, it's such an... I think even compared to the DC-10, I think that um, engine on the top is just smooth and it looks graceful and it's lovely it's just yeah. <laughs> it beats the dc10 for me although I, I was on the last dc10 ever passenger fly and that was uh, an was that the um Birman airways is it it yeah. was yeah Birman bangladesh yeah that that was really like i mean you talk about planes that have fallen to bits this thing was just incredible when, <laughs> like, it was, I, i'm surprised that it was able to fly us from the uk to be honest like looking at the state of it they couldn't you know the apu wasn't working so they had to use a ground unit to start it and everything and it was just mm -hmm. like it was just unbelievable bits falling off it and stuff but it, it again to actually get on that dc-10 i was gutted that my first flight on the dc-10 was the my only flight on one and i'm never going to get to ride on one again and yeah i guess kind of from that point of view it just makes me think i've got to do this like when while they're still flying i've got to, like while i can still get the chance and they're still quite common i'm never going to get the chance to be on like everything i ever want to go on but if i can do my best to get on them while they're still running then just let's do it i mean what an absolutely fantastic guy i we both 
so loved speaking to Noel. You can hear his passion in there. He's uh, he's everything I want to be and wish I was, to be <laughs> honest. If I'm, going, if I'm really being honest, I would love to have my own aviation YouTube channel and also be a pilot where I not only go and fly on aircraft, but fly them myself. I mean, what a dude. Oh, my life. We are now officially nav geeks as well as yeah. nav geeks. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Exactly. Listen, if you, if you want to check out more from Noel, go to youtube.com in-flight video. And of course, on Instagram, it's just noelphillips.official. Look him up as well uh, on Facebook. He's just an absolute legend. We're back next week and we're going full on Nimrod talking about one of my favourite out-of-service aircraft <laughs> where the gap between it going out of service and the Air Force getting the capability back was quite a big one. And we're going to delve into all stuff maritime patrol. See you then. Oh, and don't forget MavGeeks at bfbs.com.